Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. How are you guys doing this morning? Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, hey, uh, as it was already said today, we're so glad that you guys are joining us here this morning. Um, And I just want to say a big thank you to Pastor Brandon and Emma just for the opportunity to share with you guys today and kind of kick off this Advent series um, and jump a little bit into something similar but different to what we've done in the past. Uh, Pastor Brandon, as we were kind of like planning and preparing uh, for this Christmas season, uh, and even next year as we go into Easter and, and Lent and some of these different things, was asking the question of like, hey, what would it look like for us to do something a little bit more traditional this year? To actually try something a little bit different and follow along with this more traditional church idea of Advent. Following along with um, a little bit of like what would be uh, called the liturgical calendar, or this thing that's existed in uh, Christianity for a really long time of uh, uh, talking about certain things and reading certain scriptures at certain times throughout the year. And one of these key times is Advent. And it's this season starting... Uh, starting right now, uh, and leading up to Christmas of actually uh, uh, preparing and getting ready for what we're going to celebrate on Christmas Day. It's an acknowledgement that, hey, Christ's birth is like one of the most significant things that happens in our faith. Like second, I would say probably only to his resurrection. Uh, And there's this like acknowledgement that Jesus coming in and breaking into the timeline of history and breaking into humanity and giving us an opportunity to have a relationship with God that we didn't deserve and we never earned is such an important and significant thing. So what does it look like for us to actually plan and prepare and have a great expectation for that celebration to prepare our hearts in the right way? And so we're going to follow some of these traditional themes throughout the next four weeks of Advent, talking about hope and peace and joy and love and looking at some uh, scriptures uh, throughout the Bible that are looking towards and pointing to Jesus coming so that we can make sure that we're actually celebrating this season uh, in a really powerful and cool way. And so today, I get to speak on this topic of hope. I get to speak on hope, and we're going to be reading from Isaiah Chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, to start us off. It says this. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together before you today. Holy Spirit, I just welcome you into this place. God, we just acknowledge that you are here, that you are moving, that you are working inside of us this morning, Lord. Continue to draw us closer to you. Shape our hearts, Lord God. Shape our minds. Give us a fresh perspective and an understanding. And God, just allow our hope to be rooted in you, Lord. I thank you that you sent your son as a baby so that he might grow up and die for us. Jesus, I thank you that you rose again, that you defeated death, and that despite my brokenness and everything that's messed up with me, Lord, that you have made a way for me to have a relationship with you. Pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have you guys ever been in a situation where, like, you just don't get the hype around something? Like, there's something you're just like, I don't really, like, I don't really get it. I feel like I have a lot of these things. Like, one of them would be Instant Pots. Um, I feel like air fryers are what Instant Pots think they are, if that makes any sense. Like, air fryers are actually convenient and delicious. And Instant Pots, you're just, like, fiddling with it. And it says it's a 15-minute cook time, but then it's actually going to be, like, 15 minutes to pressurize and then 15 minutes cook and then 15 minutes to let the little steam come off. And you're always worried that it's about to blow up and, like, smash you in the face and, like, kill your dog or something. I don't really get the hype with Instant Pots, but there's a lot of these things. I don't really get the hype with a bunch of stuff. When I was growing up in elementary school, uh, I didn't get the hype with Harry Potter. Actually, that's a lie. I did get the hype with Harry Potter, but I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. So I told everybody at school that I didn't get the hype with Harry Potter, and I didn't think it was cool. And then by the time, like, book three or four was out, my parents were like, honestly, it's probably not that big of a deal. You can go ahead and read it. But I built such a brand such an identity about hating Harry Potter that I like, I was like, no, no, I can't. I got to just like stay off of it and still haven't read it. I feel like the, the other one that I have for this, and this one might offend some people in the room, is like, I don't really get the friends hype. Are there any like, oh, okay, I got some oohs. Are there any like friends fans in the room? Yeah, a few of you guys. Man, we do mobile church. And if I have to hear somebody say pivot while moving a flight case one more time, oh my gosh. It's like all these memes of like people with turkeys on their head around Thanksgiving. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on here. I feel like that's a show. It's kind of like Seinfeld where if you watched it when it first came out, like you love it and it means something to you and that's special. But I'm sorry to burst your bubble. If you've watched it later, it doesn't hold up. It's not that good. It's one thing to miss out on the hype. It's one thing to miss out on a TV show, to not really get what BTS or Ariana Grande are all about or something like that, but it is a different thing entirely to miss out on hope. And I think it can be so easy for us to go through life, for us to go through even this Christmas season and actually come out on the other side of it without putting our hope in the right place, missing out on the hope of Jesus. 
missing out on, on what he actually wants to do in us and through us throughout not just this Christmas season, but the entirety of our lives. It's so easy to wake up day in and day out and to not put our trust and our security on a firm foundation, but to try putting our hope in all these different flimsy sorts of places that break out from under us and leave us frustrated and disappointed. See, there might be some people in this room who, who don't even know this hope of Jesus. And, and if that's you, we're going to break it down and get to it in a couple minutes. But I think for some of us, we do know this hope. We do know who Jesus is. We do know what he did for us. We have accepted his sacrifice. We believe in him. And yet day in and day out, we struggle to actually live our lives with our hope rooted in him. So I think all of us at times struggle with this. We struggle with putting our, our hope and our expectations in all these sorts of unreliable places. I think this time of year we even see it. You know, we, we struggle to like, we start putting our hope in just like, man, if we can just get our family all together this year, then like things are going to be okay. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel satisfied. It's like we, we have things like we're like, okay, you know what? If like, ah, if I just have this perfect night and I got a Christmas movie and I have a glass of eggnog and I'm sitting down, like then I'm just going to have like a perfect night. I'm going to feel satisfied. I'm going to feel good. If I can just go to the right social events, if I can just like get the right stuff under the tree or, or buy the right things for others and have, you know, them think good of me or like I can bake the best cookies and impress all my friends. There's all these little tiny things uh, throughout this Christmas season where I feel like we start to put our trust and our hope in other areas and people's perceptions of us and our in our own satisfaction of what we can consume and what makes us feel good in a moment and those things aren't bad but they're not solid see like we eat that meal and then a few hours later we're hungry again we practice that Christmas tradition or watch that Christmas movie or have this fun time but then it ends and we might be back to where we started we are expecting some great time with family and a flight gets canceled. We put our hope in people's perceptions of us and then, you know, people are fickle and, and they disappoint us and they don't actually give us the validation that we're desiring. I think this isn't just something that happens around Christmas time, but all throughout the year, we can struggle with misplaced expectations. See, we misplace our hope, and we feel these urgings and longings for love. We feel urgings and longing for acceptance, for family, for security, for peace and purpose in our lives. And we can put our hope in some terrible places. It's like all of a sudden our hope is just going into that next time we can open that browser and look at that stuff online, and we're just going to feel a little bit of stress relief. Our hope becomes in that next drink that we can have or that next edible that we can eat or in the promotion that we can earn or the car that we can buy or the style that we can present to the world or the ways that others see us or the validation that we get from what we post on social media. And we have all these different little ways that we are trying to satisfy ourselves and validate ourselves and actually satisfy this deep longing that each of us has for love acceptance, and purpose. I think if we want to get real with ourselves in the room here this morning, we have to acknowledge that, that if we actually want to know where our hope is, we just need to look at our habits. See, show me your habits and I'll show you your hope. 
Show me the things that you focus on, that you do day in and day out, that I do day in and day out. And I'll begin to see actually like where I'm putting my trust and my hope. When it's easier for me in the morning to open up YouTube shorts, which is just like the saddest, darkest place in the world. It's like I'm proud of myself for not having TikTok, but then I end up on YouTube shorts and it's just like the dark, evil version of TikTok somehow even worse. And it's like for me, I've been struggling with like, man, I'm like waking up and, I'm, and I want to go do my devotions and spend some time with Jesus. But I'm just like opening up YouTube shorts again and watching like the most ridiculous content on there. And it's like, man, like I, I'm realizing that I'm putting my hope for satisfaction. I'm putting my hope for a good start to the day in the wrong place. Like for some of us, we need to wrestle with like, hey, if I'm looking at that stuff online more habitually than, than I'm actually investing in good relationships and showing up to church and spending time with Jesus, where am I actually putting my hope? If, I'm more, if all my habits and all my discipline is built around my job and my finances and my career and my success in that realm, am I putting my hope in how much money I can save or how much money I can make or what I can buy or how much of a, an inheritance I can leave for my kids or am I putting my hope in Jesus. It's interesting. This is actually the context of the verse that we read in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7 is this, uh, well, 2 to 7 is this prophetic poem. So it's this poem that Isaiah is sharing that is uh, uh, speaking with a, an insight into the future that God has given him. And what's interesting is that this poem was probably written around uh, 733 years before Christ, 733 B.C. This poem was written, and at that time, actually probably between 722 and 733 B.C. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Uh, a little over 700 years before Jesus came. And what's interesting is at that time, the, the Israelite people, uh, uh, the Israelite kingdom uh, had actually been taken over by Assyria. By this other nation. And, and, and the countries that get talked about right at the beginning of this, uh, the, the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali specifically, would have been the first ones that were occupied by Assyria. And the people were, uh, many of them, deported and taken back to Assyria and put into manual labor and these different sorts of things. And there would have been death and violence and oppression and pain. And what's interesting. So we talk about this idea of hope is that Isaiah writes this prophetic poem in the context of this darkness that even in that moment was not yet done. See, at that point, when, when we think that he wrote this poem, Assyria had only conquered these few regions of the kingdom, but they would go on to conquer the entire thing. So in the midst of the darkness, with the evil act not yet completed, Isaiah has this prophetic vision and shares this future hope of encouragement saying to the people of God, hey, I know that it's bad. I know that it's painful. I know you're experiencing the darkness right now. But trust me, the people who have experienced darkness have seen a great light. And he begins to go on and prophesy of what Jesus would do 700 plus years later and what he would continue to do throughout our time and to when he finally returns yet again. And what's so interesting about this idea when it comes to hope is that the context of this is that shortly before this, Isaiah had been talking to this king Ahaz. There was this king. His name was Ahaz. He was the ruler of Judea, the Israelite kingdom at the time. And he was under attack. 
he had uh, the Israelite kingdom had been split into two. Ahaz was like the proper uh, descendant and ruler of David. There's this other Israelite kingdom that was there. There was uh, another kingdom, and they were ganging up on Judea. And they were ganging up on Ahaz and God's people, and they were attacking. And, and Isaiah goes to Ahaz, and he tells him, like, hey, God has promised that David's line would rule in Israel, that he was going to protect the line, and he was going to protect you. So you have to trust in God in this. And Ahaz says no, and in his own cleverness, he instead goes to the Assyrians, and he asks them for help. And so what we see happen is that because Ahaz didn't trust in God, because Ahaz didn't put his hope in the right place, he didn't rest himself in the proper foundation, instead of uh, uh, trusting that God would protect him against his enemies, he went to this other larger nation that was not honoring to God, and he trusted in them. He trusted in their protection, and because of that, that nation ended up attacking them. Assyria, Assyria invaded them and began to oppress his people. And so out of this context, Isaiah pens this poem. Out of a context where this king lacked the trust and the hope in God said, hey, I can do this better in my own cleverness, with my own politicking, and my own scheming, and my own way of solving the big issues that are facing me. I'm going to look elsewhere. Because of that, this oppression came down. And in the midst of that, we get this declaration of hope from Isaiah, this prophecy of what is to come, of Jesus, who is ultimately going to transform and restore all things to him. So what is this hope? I think it's one thing to say, yeah, we got to put our hope in the right place. But if we actually want to put our hope in Jesus, if we want to put our hope in what the Bible teaches us as like the hope of the future that God has given us, we need to actually understand the hope that we're trusting and believing in. So I want to break this down going starting in verse 2, Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. I think the first thing we need to know about the hope of Jesus and the hope that we see in Isaiah 7, 1 to 9, is that this hope is concrete and transformative. It is concrete and transformative. You know, I think sometimes when we show up to church and, and we're like, yeah, we believe in Jesus and, and, you know, we know that we've sinned, we've messed up and he died and he rose again and he took on the consequences of our actions and, and he made a way for us to have eternal life with him. We're like, that's all good. But I think sometimes when we think about this hope and we look at our lives, we struggle to actually have this hope, like feel like something that's actually concrete, something that's tangible and real and impactful in our day-to-day -day lives. It's like, okay, yeah, like, cool, I believe in Jesus, and that's going to be good for my eternity, but I'm still stressed out today. I'm still struggling to have healthy relationships with others today. I'm still struggling in my friendships today. I'm still struggling right here and right now. And we actually begin to, at times, lose hope that, 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 that Jesus is actually going to do something for us today. That he's actually going to be working in us and transforming us and changing our circumstances and changing our perspectives right here and right now. 
But what we see in Isaiah is this declaration that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Even when our lives are stressful, even when we're, we're struggling with just like feeling beat up and down and overwhelmed, there's a great light that can break through even the worst of our situations that we bring before God. On those living in the land of deep darkness, and I love, I was like looking into it a bit more, and the word that's kind of used there for deep darkness is like a more literally translated like death darkness. It's like even in the land of death, even when we're facing the most like existential paralyzing fear that we could possibly face, even when we're staring down the loss of a loved one and some of the biggest pains that we could experience on this side of eternity, that we know that Jesus is still with us, he is still good, he is still for us, and a light has dawned. goes on, it says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. See, not only is there hope in the midst of the darkest situations, but there is joy on the other side of that hope. Our response and our reality has changed so that even when our circumstances on this side of eternity are still not great, we can know that there is a joy that will permeate even the darkest situations, that even when we are challenged and struggling, God is with us, he is for us, and our response is that we can actually have joy in the midst of darkness. I've told this story before, but when I was growing up, there was a woman in the church that I grew up in named Paula Pierce, and I was really good friends with her son, Jacob. We were, like, best friends for a long time. We were both, like, super into superheroes and stuff and, like, just a couple big old nerds, and we would hang out and everything, and unfortunately, Paula uh, contracted uh, cancer, and she contracted it once, and she ended up uh, uh, beating it, but then it came back, and she passed away. And I've never seen an example of joy in my life like Paula Pierce. She was this kind of woman who just, like, had the biggest smile in the world. She was Portuguese, and she was just, like, always cooking, like, the most amazing food and feeding everybody. She was always just cheerful and encouraging and loving and pouring out for those around her. And I just remember the way that even in the midst of her darkest situation, even in the midst of, of shaving her head and wearing a scarf and, and going through chemotherapy and getting weaker and, and struggling and, and just, like, like, like seeing her body break down before her, I just remember the way that every Sunday that I saw her in church, her smile still lit up the room. That is the kind of joy that doesn't make sense. That's the kind of joy that in just our, our worldly perceptions, when we're putting our hope in, in our status, when we're putting our hope in our physical life here on earth, when we're putting our hope in just the things that are around us in this world, it can't handle those kinds of situations, but when we put our hope in Jesus, when we put our hope in something greater and eternal, we can have a joy that surpasses all understanding. But not only that, it says, they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Because I believe that sometimes our circumstances don't change and God gives us joy in spite of them. But at the same time, when we follow after Jesus, the harvest is often plentiful. The plunder is beautiful. See, when we follow after Jesus, the real tangible things actually transform. The earth and the ground uh, are actually a blessing to us. When we follow after Jesus, we begin to see that human relationships and, 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 and this kingdom of God that is expanding is a blessing to us. And we are blessed in ways we can't imagine. 
All right, the hope is concrete and transformative. Number two, this hope comes with a weight that is lifted. It says in verse four, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. See, it's so interesting that it says here, the yoke that burdened them. And it's talking about the weight of struggle in this life. It's talking about the oppression that happens when we operate in a world that has sinfulness and brokenness and people are like hurting one another and taking one another down and looking down upon each other and taking advantage of each other. And it says the yoke that burdened them. And it's so interesting because Jesus, when he actually comes, he says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, the hope that we have is the hope of a weight lifted. And what's so interesting about it is that it's talking about the yoke that burdens them here, the yoke of sinfulness and brokenness in our world that we all experience and we all face. And you look at Jesus, and he doesn't just say that, hey, I just take that away. He doesn't just say the yoke is just gone. But he says, instead of that, you can trade the weight of the world for the weight of my yoke. And it's such an interesting thing about that is that with Jesus' yoke, we're not the one lifting it. He's the one carrying it. He's the one taking the weight. He's the one walking alongside us. And so, yes, we are still going to face tough situations. We are still going to face struggles. We are still going to face challenges. But when we have Jesus with us, he is going to be the one carrying the weight forward. Our hope is in a weight lifted. Number three, our hope is that peace will reign. It goes on, it says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. See, the result of this freedom that we have in Jesus, of this weightlessness that we have in Jesus, of this transformation, we accept his yoke and his work and what he has for us, his purpose in our lives, is that peace actually begins to reign within our world. We can experience true and lasting peace in our souls and with one another. And... I think at this point, some of us might be like, okay, but like, that's not the world I live in. It's like, if Jesus came, if we have this hope and this expectation of Jesus, like, why isn't there peace everywhere? They're like, look at our world right now. We are far from world peace. What is going on here? And I think the next thing we need to understand about this hope is that it doesn't come how we might expect it to. Let me read this next part. It says, for For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's so interesting because it says the government will be on his shoulders. And if I was just reading that on my own, I would probably think what the Israelite people, when Jesus actually showed up in history, thought, which is like, hey, like he's going to come in and he's going to overthrow our oppressors. By that point, it wasn't the Assyrians. It was the Romans oppressing the Jewish people. And Jesus comes into the scene, and people are expecting, like, all right, Jesus, you're going to overthrow the government. Says the government will be on your shoulders, right? Like, you're going to do that. And Jesus has this message where he says, no, first, I want to capture your heart. He's like, no, no, I'm not just going to come in here and start breaking things down and overthrowing one human government just to allow more broken humans to go into power and then start to oppress somebody else. But he's saying, no, I want to transform hearts from the inside out because until each of us are transformed, until each of us have actually been shaped by the hand of God into the plans and purposes and the person that he has called us to be, there is no hope for peace in the world around us. 
And so we find ourselves with this kind of theological concept in this space and time of the already not yet. See, Isaiah is prophesying, prophesying that Jesus would come, and he's prophesying of the end result of Jesus' reign, of what it's going to look like for Jesus to rule and be in power and in government over the world, and the perfection of that, that there will be no more war, that the boots of the warriors, the bloody clothes are going to get tossed into the fire because we don't need them anymore. Peace is going to reign. But where we find ourselves right now is in between. Jesus has come, and his kingdom has come. See, what we're reading about here, what we're talking about, this transformative power, this light in the darkness, this weight that is lifted, the peace that is coming, that has come, and we can experience it right here, right now. That is what we're called to as the church and as individuals before God. As we seek after Jesus, he will shape us and transform us, and he will give us joy in spite of our circumstances. He will lift the weights that the world places on us. He will bring, make us people of peace in the midst of a broken world. And I hope that our church and our community is a reflection of that wonderful kingdom and that peace. But we are still living in a world that is broken. Already Jesus' kingdom has come, but not yet is it completed. Not yet is it in a fullness and as we look towards Christmas and we look towards the celebrating the birth of Jesus we both get to celebrate with incredible joy what he has done and what we can experience in him today but we also get to look for with expectation and hope of what he will do that he is going to come back yet again that there is an even greater hope and that his ways of doing things are just so fundamentally different than our ways man we are like an action movie people we are people who are like, just like totally shaped by like Marvel and Die Hard. So much that people call it a Christmas movie. Like, come on. Uh, no, it is a Christmas movie. Don't worry. I'm with you. Uh, but we're an action movie people. We've been shaped by heroes that come in on the horse and kick down the doors and kick down the walls and bring things about with violence. And yet Jesus came as a baby, vulnerable, in a manger, poor in a situation, in a context that actually just kind of breaks our brains and our expectations because he wanted to shift something in us. He didn't want to just come and break down the doors for us. He wanted to break down the walls that we had created within our hearts. He wanted to find us, to know us, to love us, to transform us, and to use us as part of bringing about his kingdom. Number five, this hope fulfills our desire for family. It lists a bunch of names in verse 6 here of God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And all these different names are super important. And all of them speak to God's character. He's a wonderful counselor. It's like he's the perfectly wise ruler. He's a mighty God. He has the power to back up his wisdom. He's the prince of peace. He removes any need for fighting and violence when we follow after him. But I just want to highlight this idea that he is everlasting father for a sec. And I don't know if there's anybody in this room who just struggles with this idea of family. I know especially heading into the holidays uh, uh, when we've had loss in our family or hurt and brokenness in our family or, or we didn't have the, the parent kind of situation that a lot of other people had growing up, that this season can be especially hard. It can be a challenging time. And it can really hurt because we have this need and this desire for family, for close love, support, and connection. And I just want to encourage us today that the hope that we have is the hope of family. 
that we're actually invited not just to be citizens of God's kingdom, not just to be citizens of this awesome, perfect ruler, Jesus, but that he is also, that God is also our everlasting father, that, that he is consistent, that he is not fading, that he's not going to abandon you or walk away from you. He is everlasting. He is with you. And when we follow Jesus and we have this hope, it is a hope of close relationship, not just a, 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 a servant or a subject of a distant, far-off king, but someone as loving and intimate as a father and a friend who is going to embrace you and love you and care for you and give you a new identity as a child of his kingdom despite what your earthly family looks like. Six, this hope is not just for us. It goes on, it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. See, I think it's one thing for us individually or even just as a church community to put our hope in Jesus. Say, hey, this is where our trust is. This is where our faith is. This is where our expectation is, is in Jesus. It's another thing to actually realize that this isn't just for us. It's funny because there's all this like conquering language that's used in this prophecy in Isaiah. But what we see when Jesus comes about is that his conquering looks a lot different than our expectations of conquering. His conquering isn't us going out there with a sword and being like, follow Jesus. But his conquering is his call to us and his call to his disciples to go and make disciples of all of the nations. See, what we see here is that God is going to build his kingdom. He is going to expand his kingdom. He is going to reach the nations and all of those who could experience him and know him. And he wants to use us as part of this mission. See, we are called to be conquerors, not in a violent, uh, imperialist kind of way, but in a way where we are surrendered to God. We are transformed by his love. And we're not letting that be something that we selfishly just try to hold on to and hoard. But as we actually experience this relationship with God, as we spend time with him, as we experience his joy and his peace and, and, and the ease of the weight of his yoke, as we experience the love of a good father and the peace of a true ruler and king, that we're not meant to hold on to that and hoard it. We're actually meant to go and reach others with it, to share and say, hey, this is the joy that I had in the midst of my mental health diagnosis. Hey, this is the peace that I found in the midst of a violent and broken family situation. Hey, this is actually the hope that I've been able to rest on even when my finances made no sense and I was struggling to get by. This is actually the confidence that I found in the midst of that stress in the workplace when that boss was mistreating me. We are meant to take this, to own it, to share it, and to be the light that is breaking into the darkness that our friends are experiencing, that our family is experiencing, that our co-workers are experiencing, trusting that God is going to shine this light and invite them into what he is doing and he wants to do in their lives. Finally, this hope isn't found by our strength. It ends off saying, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal, the jealous passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, at the beginning of the message, I said that if you show me your habits, I'll tell you what your hope is. And I still think that's true. Our habits show and are a great indicator of where our hope is. 
But let me tell you that our habits and our work and our effort, our devotional time, our showing up consistently at church, our worship, it is all a sign of our hope, but it is not what earns us our hope. See, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It is not by what we do. It's not by being the best Christians possible. It's not by inviting the most people. It's not by spending the most time on our knees that any of this is going to come about or is going to happen. Those things are indicators of where our heart is. It's part of where we're actually putting our hope. It's like, yeah, if my hope is in Jesus, I'm going to spend time with him. If my hope is in his church, I'm going to show up to it on Sundays. If my hope uh, is that God has transformed me and he wants to do this for my coworkers, I'm going to invite people. But we need to know before we go to this place today that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. It is by his power. It is by his passion. It is by his love for us that he will see this through. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what? I want this. I want to put my hope in God, but it's just so hard. I want you to know this morning that he is passionate for you, that his love for you is so much greater than your hatred for yourself, that he is on your side, and that throughout this Christmas season, this Advent Advent season, as we go shopping and we spend time with family and we have a thousand events and we put the mistletoe up there and we dress all fun and we put on the trees and we watch out and we do all this really cool, fun stuff, that in the midst of this season, God is looking for you. He's searching for you. He has a zeal and a passion for you. And he wants your whole heart. He wants you to put your hope and your trust in him because he is a firm foundation. He is a good father and he will see you through whatever this life throws at you. Why don't you stand up with me today? going to take a minute and uh, I want to provide an opportunity for anyone here today who's never made a decision to follow Jesus before. So I want everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads. Let's just be a private moment. But if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I, 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 I don't really know Jesus. This isn't a hope that I've heard of before. Maybe you've heard it a bunch of times. You've been out to church a few times, but you've never said, hey, I want to make this hope my own. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. You know, we believe that this is a decision that we make in a moment and then we have to keep making it day in and day out as we wake up and we choose Jesus. But it is a decision that is important to make in a moment to say, hey, I believe that Jesus was real, that he died, that he rose again. And in doing so, the punishment that I deserve, the consequence for my bad actions was taken up. It was paid for on that cross. It was defeated in his resurrection and I can have eternal life and hope and be a part of his kingdom because of it. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I want to make that choice. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I just want to ask you to raise your hand right now. Nothing spooky or crazy about raising our hand. Just a way of saying like, hey, for myself, right now, I'm just declaring this is a decision I make. I want to follow Jesus. Why don't you just raise up a hand if that's you here today and you want to make that choice to follow him. Awesome. Let's pray. Guys, thank you for those in the room this morning that are choosing to follow after you, that are choosing to just make you their hope and their foundation, Lord God. I pray that even in this moment, Lord, they would know that you are for them and you are with them and they would experience your presence, God. I pray that you would just bring the right people and the right resources alongside them as they live.
live out this journey of faith, Lord. You would be with them as they follow after you. I pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Can we celebrate that? And secondly, I just want to provide an opportunity for the rest of us to respond here today. Why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads again? But if you just feel like, hey, maybe your head's just been in a weird space over the last little bit. You've just been thinking about so many different things. And perhaps if we were to look at your habits, and honestly, if we were to look at some of my habits right now, it would not look like my trust and my hope is in Christ and Christ alone. So my hand's going to be up. And if you're here and you're with me today, you're like, you know what? I just need to recenter myself. I need to recommit. I need to refocus. And I don't want to miss this opportunity as we celebrate the Advent season to actually rededicate my life to Jesus, to refocus on him and to put all of my hope in him. Why don't you just raise up a hand with me today? That's you. Let's pray together. Guys, thank you for every hand raised in this room. Thank you for the courage and bravery it takes to say, hey, God, I haven't been putting my trust in my hope. I've been looking to the left and to the right and I've been getting distracted. So God, right now, I just pray that you would just begin to to just deliver us your joy and your peace, your strength great in this moment, Lord God. That if we've been battling, we're struggling with just negative emotions, Lord. If we've been, been, been experiencing just hurt and pain and searching in all the wrong places to try and satisfy our need and to take that away, Lord God, that even right now in this moment, Lord Jesus, we surrender to you. We commit to building our lives on you. We pray that you would move in our lives, Lord God. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.